Hello and welcome to the first 7-inch club episode 47. Uh, this is a podcast where we dig up a 7-inch by a forgotten or obscure band within the realms of hardcore, punk, and metal and discuss whether or not they're being worth remembered. Uh, we also provide factoids and trivia that we glean from the internet and our own personal experiences. Although we don't personally consider ourselves know-it-alls or experts, many other people do. Uh, with me today is Scott and I am Mike. Mike, uh, I saw that you tried the uh, Dolly Parton approved return of the Mexican pizza. How was it? Oh, it's fucking awful, man. It was, <laughs> I got that. I was super drunk during the day. And I got that and uh, the white hot ranch burrito with the fries yeah. but like mm -hmm. after they took my order and i paid for it they're like we don't have the fries and i was like fuck I'm like this then i was at first i was like i just want my money back but they already rang it up i don't want a refund or taco <laughs> bell so they're like taco bell bucks or something so uh yeah. they're like can we just put potatoes in it and i was like fine uh that so two things about the, so the the mexican pizza was just as bad as it used to be it's it's the <laughs> same bullshit it's looked horrible i took a picture of it it looks awful i've seen other people's pictures it looks just as bad but that yeah. white hot ranch there's two things about that first off i think you said there was no spice uh mine was the hottest thing i've ever tasted <laughs> from taco bell it was like i was wow. like it gave me hiccups like when i eat something super hot i get hiccups and it gave me hiccups uh, and it was also the nastiest tasting ranch I've ever had in my life. Yeah. It was like, tasted like straight up Miracle Whip with fucking ghost pepper in it. And uh, it was one of the most disgusting Taco <laughs> Bell items I've ever had, for sure. I'm very pleased you got any ranch at all. <laughs> Spoiled or not, uh, at yeah. least you got something. I mean, I used to always get the pizza as like a change of pace and i i liked it but it was you know it's hit or miss because you could good, get like i used to get in the 90s it's like it's a good vegetarian item it was yeah. probably one of the only taco bell items i had up until like i moved to albany and started hanging out with you guys so yeah. i was because i was like when i was vegetarian i was like well you could get this you don't have to get meat in it so that was like the one item i would get from taco bell that red slurry on top with the cheese is always good the little tomato chunks are always cool and then the shells could be anything they could be insect carapace they could be fingernails. It could be raw flour flavored, even though they cook it like three times before you get it. It still tastes like <laughs> nauseating raw flour. I was going to go get one and I was and I was even going to buy that the new purple drink. I was like, oh, they have purple drink at Taco Bell. I'm going to try that. But my location isn't doing anything. They're just not doing anything new. They're like, no, we're in a we're in a time vortex. We're not doing what that is. Uh, speaking of time vortices, you remember I asked our audience to write in with their stories about being raised by subcultural parents and nobody took me up on that. So tonight. We brought in a subcultural parent uh, on the show. We're going to make him answer for all of them. So please give a warm hand to death metal dad, Shelby Cobras. Did somebody say white hot ranch? How's it going, guys? Hey, how's it going, Shelby? It's great to be here with you, Scott, and spice pussy Mike Dick. Hey, man, I'm not I'm not a spice pussy. That was super hot. I'm telling you. He got the he got all the way to hiccups. That's like code yeah. red. He got deep into yeah, it. Yeah, I I was waiting to get uh, my chance to talk to you guys about ha of actually being a sub genre parent. Yeah, because <laughs> uh, I was listening to the show and I heard the conversation and I was like, you guys could ask my son, but like that's kind of the worst shit. You c it's like bad enough to have a sub genre parent. Like, mm -hmm. don't make the kid like talk about it. It's, <laughs> it's just like insult to injury. You know what I well, mean? Like, well, your, your son is, he's like a grown ass man now. Is he? Yeah. Is, he's is, 37. 
is is he into is he into uh, the underground subcultural music or no he doesn't give a shit like why would he be like you don't have to be into the shit your parents are into like he came bad stuff yeah he came like he came and saw suffocation with me and i took like his first concert was iron maiden and anthrax and like he had fun or whatever but i never i was never like holding any aspirations that he was gonna be like a metal kid or whatever like that's not that's just like that's something that like not a lot of people are into. So yeah, why would he yeah. be into it? Like, you, you, there's, like, did either of you have the urge to like be like your parents when you were little? Like, nobody no, no, wants to no, no, no. be like their fucking parents. <laughs> no. Although Does, he does play, my stepfather does play bass, so that's his fault. It was in the house. Yeah. Damn. So, uh, yeah. Is, is your son aware that you are the twenty third heaviest guitarist in the world? Uh, I don't know. I haven't checked. I mean, I sent it. I sent <laughs> him that disappointed. Artic- I sent him that article number. like ten times, but he left me on red. So I don't. What I, a dick. I don't know if he ever opened it. Um, I did want to say something about that. I don't remember if 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 we talked about this before, but I mean, as everyone probably knows by now, of course, everyone who reads guitarplayermagazine.com Guitar World, God guitar damn it, world. don't sell yourself. I thought it was guitar yeah. for the practicing musician. Yeah, I don't know. I, your guess is as good as mine, honestly. But they uh, they put out their like whatever yearly like heaviest guitar tone list, and it's they have to have they have to have a couple that are like uh, what's it called like a, a sorbet to like cleanse the palate. <laughs> yeah. And it's basically just the writer being like, "I'm aware of a band that's not Metallica or Cannibal Corpse or or whatever." <laughs> so it's it's like fucking jack off hand motion, like okay, yeah. guy. You could tell that he's a hack writer because. Uh, this is my favorite part of the the article was he he said my band Vastum that he said was like the 23rd heaviest guitar tone. He was like, the direct quote was Vastum eases you into a jacking groove. <laughs> <laughs> I really, I really hope this guy listens to the show. I, I got yeah. to tag, I got to tag him in the post when I make Yeah, guy, if you're listening, <laughs> fuck you. It was a fucking guitar tuned to be through a triple rectifier with amp distortion. That's it. <laughs> That's my big secret, buddy. You really did your research. All natural. All yeah. <laughs> the heaviest tones like Buck Cherry and Deep Purple. <laughs> Vanilla I had Fudge. A, I had a couple other questions for Shelby before we start talking about this music. Uh, the other one's from, from Todd from Moments. He wants to know if uh, you're digging Old Nick. Are you an Old Nick, Shelby? I know oh, we yeah, talked I about love, on Discord. Okay. I, I discovered Old Nick uh, via Demo Listen, like I'm sure everybody else did. And mm. yeah, I enjoy Old Nick very much. And also, what's up, Todd? Good. Uh, you know, speaking of uh, Taco Bell chat, I don't know if you remember this moment on uh, Ilkhan years ago, but Todd Todd came over from Australia oh, yeah, that's right, yeah. for a live Ilkhan show and we fed him Taco Bell for the first time on the air. There. For the first time in his life, he was a grown ass man, and we like we like curated a Taco <laughs> Bell experience for him because uh, they don't have Taco Bell in Australia apparently. Nope. Did he, was he uh. bowled away by the quality and flavor? Oh, he <laughs> loved it. I think we I think it was like at the height of like Doritos shell fucking oh, man. tacos, and we fed him one of those, and it was like ice cold. It had been like sitting in the bag for like Ugh. four hours. But <laughs> even if if he didn't enjoy it, he at least pretended like he did, which we appreciated. <laughs> Oh, I love cold. I, I used when I was in college, I used to just go to the. We only had Taco Bell in the student union. <laughs> like that was our cafeteria. Was I will a mini fuck Taco up Bell. a cold seven yeah. layer, man. I don't give a fuck. A cold bean tacos. I used to get the soft bean tacos and let them sit in the shitty fridge. I kind of like that. It's like a, yeah. I don't know. It's like a, it's like a teething ring for for, <laughs> for a grown baby like me. 
Yeah. Uh, just so I get out of the way, if you want to reach us, you can do so at first seven inch club at gmail.com or you go to our Instagram at first seven inch club. That's all spelled out. Uh, the Instagram has a link tree. We could find all our stuff. Uh, I don't think Shelby has has uh, social media. He's uh, he's hiding in the shadows. So yeah, anybody yeah. with Instagram is a fucking oh, bitch. Yeah, I have two. I'm yeah. a spice <laughs> pussy and a bitch. I'm um, yeah. <laughs> all this all this sexist Shelby with all the sexist stuff. He's gonna yeah. get canceled. But hey, hey, what are you gonna do? Uh, keeping it keeping it on brand. Uh, so. Before we get into the actual music, I'll just say why Shelby's on the show. Uh, the band we're talking about today features a, a guy who's, a, I guess, semi-well-known now named uh, Tony Molina. And uh, Shelby is friends with Tony Molina. And uh, to keep with my, uh, I guess, my edict to never actually have the person from the <laughs> band on the show talking about their own music, uh, it's 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 okay to have somebody one degree separated. But the, re- the, the actual reason is because... Um, I was personally like unaware that this Tony Molina dude that is Shelby's friend uh, is is fairly well known up until like very recently. Uh, so I've always known Tony as the guy that's been on Shelby's podcast, A Logical Contraption. <laughs> and uh, so I just always thought about him as Shelby's friend up until like a few months ago when he was on Turned Out a Punk. And I was like, Turned Out a Punk's a pretty big yeah. podcast with pretty famous people on it. So this must be like a, a kind of a big, big deal guy. So um one i looked up what tony molina looked like because up until this point and i don't know when the first time i heard him on ilkhan was probably like you know six fucking five six seven years ago who knows but at the time i was like in my mind i was like tony probably looks like shelby but darker and uh that's that's not true he doesn't look anything like shelby no not Uh, at all no um and so then then that was one myth busted and then the second one was uh he doesn't play music that i that would i would classify as well what i've been given through his interviews i guess he would say like uh the music doesn't match the guy to, for me so uh, yeah. he plays like power pop or something like that and that is just like the that genre is completely out of my wheelhouse that is just uh, where i was just talking to scott that uh i know it has a big fan base i've never met anybody though <laughs> that's yeah. into it there's like a whole uh, parallel universe where big star is the biggest band in the whole world for some people and then yeah, and, yeah. and they don't exist yeah. to other people most other people they don't. <laughs> tony plays pussy music <laughs> yes yeah and uh just you know it doesn't it doesn't match his old aura on podcasts it's- no it's funny to like go see him play live like play acoustic sets or whatever which i have funny stories about uh anyways yeah like because there was like an infamous show at aquarius records which was like a local record store and label that shut down several years ago uh Somebody was making a documentary film about Aquarius and Tony played like the record store, some sort of gig there and ended up like talking so much shit and calling people like calling people in the audience like gentrifiers and shit and like (laughs) get the fuck out of my city. And like a guy tried to fight him like (laughs) while he was playing, he was playing like literally like big star covers on an acoustic (laughs) guitar. So it's like it's it's always like anybody's guess what my what might happen at a, a tony molina show uh but yeah so that was uh you, t- you told me to remind you so you've played in tony molina's band and you played yeah. a show this is this is topical because they just dropped a, a promo a quote-unquote promo uh last weekend uh, but the band tsunami who was like a goon band that just plays mosh music uh, right so, so you played in tony molina's power pop band uh, with the band Tsunami, so uh, yeah, so, so, yeah. Let you so talk I've, about it. <laughs> I've played, I've played in a couple different uh, versions of the Tony Molina band. Like usually, when he does shows, it's like seven or eight people on stage, and it's not a very 
it, it's not as cool as it sounds to be in the Tony Molina band. He he pretty much just like picks a group of dudes every show, like his buddies, to like be in the band for that mm-hmm. show. So the fact that I played shows with him it was just like I was like texting with him a lot that week or something. It wasn't mm-hmm. like any sort of reflection of my skill or uh, heaviness of tone. Mm-hmm. Um, you were within range of San Francisco. So yeah, yeah. He was like, Oh, Shelby's in town. And like, you can play the show, whatever. Uh, sometimes he does those. And other times he does, like I said, like this Aquarius record show where it's like him and one other person with acoustic guitars. So tsunami's first show, uh, you can look it up on YouTube. Like if you look up tsunami, it's, it's the word tsunami, but without the silent T at the beginning. So just S U N A M I. Uh, just look up tsunami for a show. It's like eight minutes long and it's on YouTube. Um, and it's like fucking insane. I've never been to a show like this. We can get into like the specifics of West coast versus East coast hardcore, mm-hmm. maybe later in the show, but West coast hardcore, there's not a lot of like karate dancing or like, <laughs> like, uh, like kickboxer yeah. moshing type yeah. shit. This show was, it was their first fucking show. It was packed and there was like. It was a Halloween show was the other thing. So there's people in crazy costumes and like a guy dressed up with in a kickboxer outfit with gloves, just straight up punching people in the face. Oh, Dudes man. were like, like roundhouse kicking each other in the face. And you can watch it in the video that somebody like <laughs> the person filming is filming the audience more than the band. And people are just beating the ever loving shit out of each other. The funny part about that show was that me and Tony played an acoustic set right before that all went down. <laughs> so like, no, not shitting you at all. Like we went up there, we were playing, we did like, uh, you know that band Love, that like 60s yeah, band Love. Yeah. We, were do, we, did, we did a love song. We did like a Bill Fox song. We did a, a Big Star song, obviously. <laughs> it was like the most chill fucking like uh, mellow vibe. And it was Halloween. Tony was wearing Joker makeup because he's a big fan of the fucking Joaquin Phoenix Joker. <laughs> This was like right, right before, uh, this was like right before COVID too. Wow. But yeah, so we, it was like the weirdest shit to go, like for me to, for, for one, like for me to play an acoustic set in, in front of a bunch of hardcore kids. And it went over pretty well. People were like politely clapping and shit, yeah. but it was like we were playing a fucking coffee house. And then literally 15 minutes later, it was like, like a hundred dudes like beating the shit out of each other like punching <laughs> punching each other in the face and like if you don't believe me like look up tsunami's first show on youtube it's like yeah. extremely extremely violent uh yeah that, that's that's pretty great that's that's uh, that's the other thing i know about tony is that um he seems to have the same window of knowledge of hardcore that i do except he's somehow 15 years younger than me so i guess he's been going to shows since he was like eight or something so no he's not he's like <laughs> He's like three or four years younger than you. Oh, really? Yeah. I thought he was like like 31 or something. <laughs> no, no. Okay, okay. Because, uh, yeah, because anytime he's talking about like, you know, like all the old, old, basically, yeah, the early, the late 90s, early 2000s bands, I'm like, this dude seems way too young to be into this, <laughs> but I guess not then. But he seems like uh, he seems like he's been around some violence. All all his stories seem to be about violence. So it had to be a little violent back in the day and in, in, on the West yeah, Coast. What do people do if they don't karate dance? Uh, mess. <laughs> just in the <laughs> crowd. Just... <laughs> yeah, no, I was going to say, like, uh, I was hoping we get into this, like the difference between what you guys experience as hardcore on the East Coast and what I experienced as hardcore on the West Coast. It's like vastly different. Um, we like 
power violence and hardcore are almost, I feel like, synonymous on the yeah. West Coast. And they neither of them really mean anything besides just like fast punk music. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I feel like out here, like straight edge was not really a thing. And there was a lot more like sketchy drug use. And we did not have mosh breakdowns. Mm. <laughs> um and actually, I was I, I wanted to mention I, I wanted to uh, plug something for my fiance Hong Kong, okay. cool, um, but she she made a movie like twenty years ago when she was uh, when she was very young and first moved to the Bay Area. Uh, there's it's on it's on YouTube and it's called Ramen Days Bay Area Hardcore and it's wow. uh, it, it was about this this like punk venue like DIY venue in Richmond, California called Burnt Ramen. Oh yeah. Okay. And th there's actually, if you go to exactly 13 minutes and 50 seconds until 13 minutes and 58 seconds, you can see Dystrophy live playing Burnt Ramen. Oh, wow. oh man. Um, but it's a great uh, documentation of like w what West Coast hardcore was like when I was first coming into it, when I first moved to the Bay Area and like, you know, 2003, 2004, it was like very scummy, uh, a lot of like spikes and leather and mohawks like very punk attire a lot of like meth use um everyone's very stoned all the time and no mosh breakdowns <laughs> whatsoever so, yeah. uh, so that's probably the only live video is that the only live video there is because i couldn't find anything on youtube yeah i think so and it's it's literally eight seconds <laughs> of footage you can see tony screaming and also if you see there's this band case of emergency yeah. featured in the documentary yeah. who they were kind of like a post dystrophy band uh, there's also footage of them and you can see Tony, Tony like getting down in the front row while Case of Emergency <laughs> plays Burnt Ramen also. Right. Uh, yeah, for me, like uh, when in like the late 90s, like 97, 98, I was obviously very deep in, in the uh, old kung fu kickboxing hardcore scene of the East Coast. Uh, but I knew this kid online on AOL, this kid Chip. Uh, and I can't remember what part of California he was from, but um, not like a cool part. Yeah. Definitely not from a cool part. And, and he would later on, he was in a band with the dudes from a new attack called The Accident after a new attack. Um, and he's the one who like hipped me onto like all the West Coast stuff, like, uh, you know, all the, the Fiesta Comes Alive type stuff and uh, yeah. Gehenna and a new attack and all those bands. So, yeah, I was like totally blown away because I had never heard of mu music like played like that until yeah. I, I started talking to him. So, yeah, it was, it was completely different in the late 90s for sure. Another Another big difference, too, is like, uh, when I hear, I still kind of laugh when I hear you guys use the term metalcore because that's like <laughs> completely a dirty word out here. <laughs> like I, I never heard, I never heard like Rorschach was one of my first like actual hardcore bands that I got into yeah. and I heard them described as metalcore and I was like, what the fuck? Like that, <laughs> that's not correct. Like metalcore was just swoopy haired, like attack, attack, yeah. like broken side and all those words with like a sentence for a name. I think, I think the, the youngsters now have just kind of lumped yeah. it in where, because I, because I kind of forgot to bring this up when I, I was just on a podcast called Kings of Punk, uh, when they were grilling me about metalcore. And I forgot to mention that back in the nineties, we just called it new school hardcore because yeah. it yep. was metallic or hardcore. Core. I completely forgot to yeah. mention that. But, yeah, uh, but since since new school hardcore means like 1994, that means I think kids now just lump it all <laughs> as as metalcore. So now Rorschach is metalcore. Yeah. We use it for for an expedience, but yeah, no one said that word yeah, before yeah. like 2001 or something like that, or maybe even later. Yeah, yeah that's kind of what I figured. I had I had a friend like within the last couple months, a friend of mine who's like always lived on the West Coast. He lives up in Portland now, and I I 
described something at metal as metalcore and he was like what the fuck are you talking <laughs> like he had he still had like only only like swoopy haired like breakdown type mm-hmm. connotations with that what's well, funnier i think the funnier word is deathcore because absolutely no one likes to be called deathcore even people who yeah but also people who are very much right, deathcore right. <laughs> but uh, yeah it's like all those like maggot stomp type bands are like that's yeah. just a that's just a slightly repackaged version of job for a cowboy yeah. you yeah. know deathcore was definitely being used in connecticut in the early the mid 90s for sure because i remember that band there's this band tyrant trooper yeah. and another band called cyber christ and they both used the connecticut deathcore uh-huh well i think that's like in the old days when speed metal and and thrash metal and they called it death metal when it wasn't death metal yet those like the terms just weren't really ironed out yet yeah so people yeah, were yeah, fucking yeah. they were fucking yeah. with the word deathcore as like a joke <laughs> almost yeah. i got <laughs> Just a real quick story. Do you guys? Yeah. Do, did you guys either either of you get Parade Magazine? Like, did your parents oh, yeah. get Parade Magazine yes. when you were kids? Yeah, in the okay. paper. Like yeah, the and they, like Parade Magazine had either Columbia House or whatever the other one was, yeah. where you could get yeah. like nine tapes or CDs, depending on your age, for for a penny or whatever. Yeah, and they would have the big spreads where they showed all the there was like little thumbnail pictures of all the artists. And I remember being at the age. This was like probably when I was eleven or twelve when. Uh, grunge was first becoming a thing and they had a little mm-hmm. thumbnail picture of Soundgarden and they had Soundgarden in Parade Magazine in an advertisement they had Soundgarden labeled as Grindcore <laughs> and, and that has right. like stuck with me ever since that it was like grunge was so new it didn't have a name yet so like Columbia House was struggling to put a label on this new sound coming from Seattle and what what they landed on was Grindcore for for Parade Magazine Punishing stenchcore violence. <laughs> uh, so moving a little closer to this band, we're not we're not going to talk about them yet. But uh, it's the band. The band, if you didn't re- read the cover of the uh, the podcast, is uh, named Dystrophy, and they were from uh, Millbury, California, in two thousand two. Uh, well, the, this this seven inch Nice Kids was put out in two thousand two. But I just wanted to ask Shelby, where were you at in two thousand two? Because you just said you moved to the Bay Area two thousand three, two thousand four. Were you were you still were you working your way up to be the death metal encyclopedia you are now or were you just not even on that on that tip yet um in the late like yeah i was i was beginning my voyage into uh uh metal encyclopedia i guess uh i i moved to the bay area in 2003 but like i was going to shows i i grew up in far far northern california humboldt county um which is very very isolated uh it's like you know five or six hours from the bay area it's five or six hours from any city whatsoever um but Mm. we actually had like a lot of music and a lot of bands and like uh, touring bands would occasionally stop there um so i i was going to like punk shows and stuff since the i don't know probably like 94 95 i started going to my first shows and yeah the first stuff i got into it there was like a really weird like uh art punk scene in Eureka. Those were the kids that I looked up to. They were like mm. acid head punks that like <laughs> listened to the flaming lips and shit. Yeah. Um, and I didn't, it was like so isolated and before the internet that I would kind of just got like little droplets here and there. Like I got a copy of Deicide Legion on tape and I got Cannibal Corpse butchered at birth on tape just cause like that was the only metal that the record store had. So I just, mm. I started getting hints here and there and then yeah, obviously, by the time the internet was a thing, I could just listen to whatever. But um, okay. it took me so, it took so, me a while. 
So dystrophy in 2002 wouldn't have made you clutch your pearls or anything and go running. No, no, not at all. Very, very knee deep into this shit. Yeah. Okay, I was just making sure. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, so to get into it, like I said, the band is named Dystrophy. Uh, The record is called Nice Kids. It was on Crucial Records. It came out in 2002. Uh, Dystrophy had this, a split seven inch, and it says a self-released album. So I assume that means a demo, but I didn't check. So maybe it's uh, more than a demo, but... um, it has about the same amount of songs as the seven inch. So I assume it's a demo, uh, but yeah, they seem to be around from 2001, 2002, as, uh, we kind of already said a, a bunch of times, this, this is a, an early Tony Molina band. So I didn't do any doxing on Tony Molina because that's why Shelby's here. And I assume anybody listening probably knows his deal. And, uh, Oh, I also forgot to mention, this was actually recommended, requested by uh, listener Alex. So, uh, and then, then once he requested it, I was like, oh, could have Shelby on for this. It'll be perfect. <laughs> so that's why he's here. But thanks, Alex. So I did some, yeah. So I did some light doxing on dystrophy. Uh, I, cause you know, who cares? We have a guest. We don't, we don't need to do heavy doxing, but, um, but it, so there, 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 there's a few little tidbits. Bo Monnet played, uh, drums. He was in a band, uh, shortly after this called Ovens, which seemed to be, a band a lot of people from Dystrophy joined, except for I think one guy was not in it, or one or two guys were not in it. Uh, but that's all I got about him. He was in a band called Ovens and a band called Good Grief. Uh, Pugsley the bassist, nothing on him. His name's Pugsley. It's hard to search for somebody named Pugsley because every fat kid is uh, nicknamed Pugsley. So <laughs> it's uh, it's pretty hard. Uh, Doug Radke is the big surprise. He's a guitarist. He became a CPA uh, and he's he's hiding his past. He is ashamed of his past, oh, yeah. as you should be. So, uh, so you cannot find anything about Doug and uh, being in a fucking angry, fast, hardcore band anymore. That is that part of his life is completely shut, case closed. Uh, Kyle Splice played the guitar. He is also he also joined Ovens. Um, he's also in a band called Mr. Turkey and the Lazy Circus Friends, which I didn't check out, but that was a funny name. Uh, he seems to be some sort of short film director, and he does. He does solo music, much like Tony Molina, uh, but it, it's like like country blues or something. It's weird. Yeah. It's under the name Cuddy, and uh, I do I don't suggest listening to it. I don't I don't like it one bit. But mm-hmm. uh, you know maybe I don't know maybe he's still down. Maybe him and Tony are still friends because they both still do uh, music that doesn't appeal to me. But <laughs> but uh, but yeah, that's about it. I obviously didn't really check anything for Tony because we have an expert here. So that's all I got for the doxing for this episode. Yeah, uh, Kyle uh, has been doing that sound since almost mm-hmm. immediately after Ovens because okay. Milbray Brothers, Mr. Turkey and his Lazy Circus friends, Cuddy, and I think there's one other band all sound like like the James Gang or like music for mm-hmm. people who like to talk about whiskey or something like that, like you know, <laughs> blue like stripped down bluesy rock. And he's been doing it under different names for 15 years now. And like, when yep. are you going to get that out of your system, Kyle? Get past <laughs> it. Uh, Bo uh, is still around. Uh, he played the like, good grief turned into Brett V just his solo project. He's still doing that in Vegas. And Oh I think, yeah, I saw that and I was yeah. like, I just didn't even write it down. Oh yeah. And uh, I think he was like dystrophy's web guy. Cause there, you can find a, an archive.org, a, a snapshot, a couple snapshots of the old dystrophy website. And, and <laughs> like he, he, he claims like if you want to get in touch with me, email me here and it's his email address. So I think he was like an unsatisfied band member or something like that. Yeah. He was, keeping track mm-hmm. of the things doug uh he also ran for city council so you can find a lot of uh, a whole trail of him trying to run for city council that's it looks the like second a, californian that ran for city council yeah we, we've talked about on the show we all do it we all do it out yeah. here yeah. 
it looks like a dirty race too because like he was going up against some sort of corrupt like movie villain or something like that <laughs> that shut him shut him down uh, and he does have there is an archive of, of a web of his website where he talks about music and he says i play piano and i love piano and music blah, blah. i used to play guitar blah, 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 but not anymore and like he just kind of speeds past that pugsley i'd love to know about and also uh, I, I i don't know if i'm curious about this so if you look at their old website they only refer to tony as bino let me let me uh ease your your troubled mind because uh tony and Bo are like still best friends they they, okay. they were like childhood best friends um and they yeah they did they did dystrophy together they did ovens together and they're still they're still super tight uh Bo just lives in vegas now so th- th- there's definitely like no no hard feelings between tony and Bo. i did however hear that uh doug is maga now but you didn't hear that from oh. me, and that might not be. Oh, oh, yeah. So, wait, wait. I have more than that. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry. Uh, I didn't mean to cut in. That's a good lead. Yes, he is definitely on that on that trip, and also is like a super seems to be a super crypto bro, and is <laughs> oh yeah, and is shilling for some kind of crypto site that lets you like collect sneakers with crypto or something like that. Oh boy. Uh, so yeah, he's he's doing that, and he posts pictures of his crypto mining rig, which is a bunch of video cards. I am a graphic designer, and I can't get a video card. This guy's got 25 <laughs> video cards sitting there running to make him like 0.001 Bitcoin per week or something like that. And he's like burning a rainforest every time he does it. So, yeah, he's out there doing that shit. And uh, also on the old website, it says that uh, it, it says that Bo was so bad in the old days that Tony just had to take over on drums for him. Um, so I kind of get the impression Tony may be the best musician in dystrophy. Um, does, does he play all the stuff on some of his records? No. I mean, he no. he plays a lot of the stuff, but he has so there's no credits. Like some of them have no credits. Yeah, on the yeah. No, yeah. I I I actually played on his maybe his last album, maybe the one before yeah. the last album. Who knows? But there's a lot of people in there when he's when he's recording. Like he he does a lot of it himself, but he does have a lot of guest musicians too. He's not a, like a drummer by trade. I re, that sounds like bullshit that he took over the drums in when Bo couldn't in dystrophy or whatever. But yeah, because yeah. like. Yeah, he's not like a ripping drummer or anything, but if he was to have like a four on the floor floor beat on one of his albums, like he's from what I understand, he he probably does a lot some of that by himself. So Tony basically does uh, a very heavy, crazy hardcore band, and then a power pop thing, and then a very crazy hardcore band, the power pop thing, and he slices up his whole life yeah, into yeah. like power violence and then power pop. Yes, and and he actually <laughs> I talked to him about this. Uh, I texted him this morning because, or maybe yesterday, and I was like, hey, I'm doing that podcast if you want to get any, like, if you want to get any, like, last little words in or messages about th- this dystrophy thing. And uh, basically all he said was like, yeah, that's just been my thing for, like, 20 years is I've had, like, a power like a power pop thing and a power violence thing. And, and yeah. th- the names have changed, but, like, many of the players have stayed the same. Like, he's mm-hmm. got a, a power violence band now called Healer. And, you know, yeah. Tony Molina band is like his power pop thing and ovens was like his power pop thing. So he, he's always just had one and the other uh, for like 20 years now. So Tony is unquestionably a slam metal expert. Yeah. But I couldn't tell from the discogs. He's, has he ever done a slam metal band? No, no. He uh, he has trouble playing that style of guitar, I think. I think it's like <laughs> oh. antithetical to like how he learned to play. Like he can do the power violence, like fast chords thing, but he he was asking me about it before he's like we should sit down and you should like show me how to like play slam riffs <laughs> <laughs> but i'm sure i'm he's been sending me stuff like he records he records like riffs at home and stuff and like does like he'll send me like little 30 second clips of like 
slam type stuff that he's just doing at home. <laughs> he's never put out an album like that or anything. He should just try because he's a good musician. I bet whatever he made and thinks is slam from his guitar would probably be very good. The, st <laughs> the shit that he send me, sends me is really good. It's just like him playing like slap drums on the counter in his kitchen, though, you know, <laughs> so it's like, it doesn't that sound that right. sick. But... <laughs> so do you know, do you know where his affinity for all the, the slam metal and gore grind comes from then? He's just kind of an encyclopedia of, of all kinds of music. You know, he can go he can go deep on like gore grind and fucking slam metal and shit, but he can go equally deep on like, you know, like folk rock from the <laughs> mid 60s or whatever. <laughs> Yeah, he's he's uh he seems to know his shit a lot. Yeah, well, he just sits around all day. So like, this is all he does is like <laughs> sit on the internet and like read, listen to music, and read about shit. Yeah, must be nice. I mean, that's all I do too. I just guess guess I don't retain it because I'm too busy playing fucking video games or something. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. what are you gonna do? Uh, this was on a label called Crucial Records, which I was very shocked to find out was an actual real record label. <laughs> uh, just by the looks of this record, the dystrophy record, I was like. This is probably some shit they made up, but uh, no, they put out a few things. There's no like, there's no info, but I assume they're from California. Uh, they were around for a couple years, but they put out a few notable things. They put out this dystrophy record plus the split. Uh, they put out Conga Fury, which was like a popular Japanese thrash kind of fast hardcore band for about six months in uh, the early 2000s. Uh, they put out Bomb Builder from Cleveland, who uh, they also Gloom Records also put out a Bomb Builder yeah. seven inch. So uh, they 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 could qualify for a future for a seven inch club. So uh, we might talk about Bomb Builder in the future, and uh, a couple other bands, John John the Baker and the Malnourished. I never heard of them and Hostile Takeover, but very shocked by uh, the looks of this dystrophy record yeah. that they actually put out more than one record. I listened to everything this label ever put out, and mm -hmm. I'll hand it to Dystrophy. They have the number two best engineered record on the label. Um, <laughs> Conga Fury is very cruddy. <laughs> It's yeah. very lo-fi. Bomb Builder, still pretty cruddy. I think it's more on purpose with them. Uh, Hostile Takeover. Hostile Takeover is a close third. They're not that far from dystrophy. But uh, John the Baker and the Malnourished have an impossibly, impossibly rich amount of low end. Like <laughs> trap beat levels of rich, thick 808 bass. I don't know. It, it just sounds like a bass guitar, but he brought the 22-inch speaker and they recorded it because it's really, really, really <laughs> large low end. Uh, and also, if you Google Crucial Records... Obviously, a lot of people have used that name by now, but uh, yeah. the one that gets the top result for me is a guy named Crucial Williams, who just uses it to hawk his three struggle rap records, which actually aren't, <laughs> they're not all that bad. They're kind of like bad 3-6 Mafia or something like that. Uh, but he recently Instagrammed himself face swap with Chucky from Child's Play. So you guys might want to check oh, that out when you, when you get a minute. Cool. Uh, John, the, John the Baker is their last release. So I guess after that, they're like, well, we did it all. We, uh, <laughs> and if you'd like we to, did. if you'd like to learn more about John the Baker, he's featured prominently in that aforementioned ramen days documentary because oh, he was the guy who kind of lived at and ran burnt ramen in the in mm. the early 2000s it's a pretty interesting record it's really weird it's it's like hardcore but it's i'm not really saying weird. you have to like it or anything i'm just saying he's the guy that ran the venue <laughs> well i mean if you like to, if you like to make your speaker shake you're yeah. definitely gonna like the john the baker uh so yeah that's it for about crucial records i guess we can Get this record out onto a tray. Nice. And talk about what it looks like. Uh, so I ended up buying two copies of this because uh, there was only two copies on on Discogs. And uh, both of them were in America, which is very rare these days for any records to be from America. <laughs> uh, the first person I bought it from uh, was kind of like flaking, flaking on me. Like it took a, like 
you know, after 12 days, there was like silence and no shipping notification. So like I messaged them and I didn't get anything back. Mm-hmm. So I just like reported them and I was like, I'm never going to get that dystrophy record. There's only <laughs> one other copy on the internet. So I have to grab it. So I bought it again. And then that other guy got back to me and then I got his copy and then I got this other copy. His copy sucked. The one we're talking about today is nice, but the one he, he gave me was like, that must've been what they like the last the last dystrophy copies left or something because it was like on <laughs> shittier fo- like this is on photocopy paper but it was shittier it was orange it was like shittier stock like there, i wow. don't think there was any inserts like i don't know maybe like the dude just fucked it up himself but it was just uh this 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 one we're talking about now is like a premium copy that i think they sent to like stores or something because there was a little note inside of it uh saying there's like for ad info and stuff so yeah um so I assume that this is like a special copy, but getting just getting starting uh, the cover stinks. It's uh, just like a photocopied <laughs> picture of I assume Tony singing, but it is so dark that uh, you know there there are settings on that photocopier that you can yeah. lighten stuff up. So uh, dystrophy nice kids is in the uh, fast hardcore fonts. Like you could you could look at this and say I'm about to listen to some fast hardcore. The the back is kind of just a stock fast hardcore too. There's a guy on the floor playing guitar maybe and. Um, you know, it has it has a song list. Uh, the inside, there's a regular insert, which is uh, all uh, very cut and paste DIY, handwritten. Although they they use the font, they use the computer to 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 spell out the uh, the song titles, and then they just wrote in handwriting. So <laughs> it's it's mostly DIY, hundred percent DIY. It's like ninety eight percent DIY. Um, then there's uh, pictures of the bands that you could tell were just cut and pasted onto a piece of paper. Uh, Doug, the uh, one of the guitarists, is pictured with uh japanese women so i assume <laughs> that's from japan i don't know but that, that's cool just put in your taurus photos as your band photo that's pretty cool yeah. um but there's also another thing that I, that was definitely not in my other copy and i don't know it's it's a fake printout from ebay from the old ebay from 2002 so it's pretty cool because it really brought me back to those times of very simple ebay mm-hmm. and um it's like a joke about you know selling records for way too high prices and it's kind of just like this long description. Um, I su- I think this is what they were trying to run as an ad. I'm not really sure. Uh, but the thing that's weird about this is the part in it says, um, in the fake eBay description, it says, here we have a mint copy of the limited dystrophy 7-inch. I got this copy, which is hand numbered 45 to 65, because I am a totally cool scenester. But the thing about this that's weird is the 45 is actually written, handwritten. So... <laughs> I don't know if they really made 65 copies of this record with uh, this dumb eBay thing in it or what, but uh, I don't know. But either way, it's kind of it's kind of a funny little thing. You'll obviously see in the scans on Instagram when I put it up, but um, a lot of mentions, you, you know, uh, I guess. Let me see. Is this the thing? I know there's something that, something that references Tony Loving Makeout Club. I can't remember if it was on this or the, ins- <laughs> oh, the inside cover. There is an actual venue in san francisco called the makeout room oh so it's not the uh the actual website makeout club mm-hmm. oh no it says tony loves makeout club in the in the keywords oh, okay never mind okay <laughs> never okay. mind that's what he's talking and that's about. the right time period this is the time yeah period. yeah, yeah. Right. Maybe, maybe tony was very popular getting uh, a lot of hookups on the makeout club <laughs> i don't know but um makeouts but yeah it's you know it, it has very in the of the time jokes in this little ebay listing it's it's pretty cute uh, but yeah, that's about it. This is pretty par for the course for this type of music, I think. I don't think uh, uh, the the labels are hand drawn, hand written too. Um, it's it's pretty par for the course, I think. It's did, it's fine. Did either what? of you guys uh, 
because on the inside of the album there it, they have their website listed www.dork.com slash dystrophy i don't know if either of you guys looked that up uh i, I went to the other one because there's an, another website listed somewhere that was like uh maybe it's a different record that has another website and that was actually in archive i didn't go to dork.com yeah well i'll i'll let you guys know if you do go to dork.com uh, it's uh, that domain is for sale for one million dollars US. <laughs> one million. Yeah. Wow. Thanks, Biden. Wow. <laughs> oh, I forgot to ask you, uh, Shelby. Do you know? Uh, do you have any info on Millbury, California? What What's that? I was place there. Like? I was there like two weeks ago. Yeah. It's. Uh, it's. Um. I. I can't say anything bad about the West Bay because you're risking uh, getting beat up. But Mil <laughs> Millbrae kind of sucks. It's like, uh, it's just kind of a shitty suburb of San Francisco. Okay. Um, but, you know, Tony's very proud to be from there and the people who are from there are very proud to be from there. I should mention too, I don't think we talked about, I, I don't live in California anymore. I live in no. Virginia right outside of DC, but I was back in California like two weeks ago and I was in Millbrae. Um, so yeah, like the geography of San Francisco, there's like a peninsula that juts out around the san francisco bay south of san just south of san francisco and that's what is commonly referred to as the west bay okay and that's the the 650 area code so on a lot of this stuff you'll see like references to Millbrae and san bruno and 650 and west bay and that that's the area they're talking about it's like south and west of san francisco out on that peninsula okay i just i didn't know if it was one of those one of those deals where it's really like hundreds of miles outside of the bay so no, it's no. good to know it's yeah it's true. right there he's right there he's true till death for real yeah uh okay scott do you have anything to say about the uh, actual record i would take it a different way i would say this is a perfect layout <laughs> I think that this layout exactly tells the story of this kind of music because the surface, the cover, almost looks a little scary and intimidating at first. Almost looks like a medical photo or something gross. And then you look <laughs> and it's just it's just a guy, you know, it's just a guy's face. And then you get in, you get you flip it over. I assume that's the back cover where all the sneakers are, and there's, yeah, yeah, there's yeah. a bunch of cables and disoriented falling musicians. Uh, it lets you know something frantic and punky is going on. Like it put cables on a dirty floor. That's like a classic way to show that you're in you're in you're in punky territory. And uh, then once you get inside, it's just jokes. It's all jokes all the way down. It's like jokey lyrics, Doug yep. posing with uh with ladies for his band photo. Like all the other band photos are straight, and he's just there on vacation or something. <laughs> uh, there's silly drawings on the record itself. Um, and then that that eBay thing is just punishing with with inside jokes. It's just like yeah. it's it's after it's, it's to a point where it's not all that funny anymore. But they did hand color it with cheap highlighters, which it just keeps going. It's like a it, it's a perfect layout. Even the band logo looks like it was made by hand to me. It looks like it was made on crumpled paper and then photocopied to get that effect. <laughs> so there's no notes. This is a perfect score. One of our best layouts. <laughs> I'm sure you guys are aware too. It, like it, you must have gotten this from the lyrics, but th these guys are like 16 when they yeah, when they yeah. were doing yeah. this. And this uh, yeah, to me, it, and we'll get into the music later. But I you know spoiler alert or whatever i i feel pretty similar about the music like it the fact that this is made by high school kids makes it all make a lot more sense and makes yeah. it much more endearing yeah it it looks it looks like exactly like what i would have done when i was 16 or what <laughs> any of us would have done at 16 you know what i mean and that's yeah. not that's not a bad thing it's just like it's it's spot on like you can you you know what was going on with these kids at the time I think I would have definitely done a lot worse at 16 than this. So Yeah, I know I did. That. I have this record. <laughs> this record. Uh, so I guess we can get into the music. I feel bad. I feel like this, this show's even quicker than the normal shows, and 
we have a guest. So well, we have thirty songs to cover, so we got. Yeah, plans. we do have. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we do have thirty songs, but yeah, this is a nine-track record. Obviously, this is kind of faster, so it's not full sound. It's it's a lot of sound though. Um, the first track is called "Last Drop." <laughs> If you didn't guess by now, this is kind of fast, thrashy, what was called power violence at the time, hardcore. And um, I, you know, you you guys, I think you're you're discrediting this. I don't care what age this is. I th- I, I like this record a lot. Spoiler alert: I think this record's super good. Uh, unfortunately, it's the type of music that I'm not going to have much to say about track by track because <laughs> every track is a minute long, and you know, there's not there's not much of a difference. Don't worry, Mike. I uh, got you covered. Okay, good. <laughs> I got a lot uh, but, to say. <laughs> okay. Uh but this song is um the lyrically it's it's kind of like a soft straight edge song because it's about somebody drinking and getting fucked up and how that's not cool, but it's never overtly straight edge. It's never, you know, you're there's never committing violence on the drunk person or trying to help them out. So it's it's more of a soft straight edge. It could go either way. The, these these kids could be partying too. And they just might think somebody partied a little too hard. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. But yeah. Th- I think this is a good start. It's it's exactly what I would imagine from California at this time. Um, well, this area of California. And if I had heard this at the time, I would have probably been super into it. So I was kind of curious if this song was a real light joke or something because every <laughs> like they have three, I'd say two two and a half to three sort of sincere sounding lyric batches, and then the rest is just like a. A, sl- a slurry of normal goofball shit and uh just wondering if it's either, this is the first one they wrote and they didn't know how to dial in that humor or if this is like if this is a very dry joke about like like a, a straight edge joke or something pardon the pun yeah pardon, <laughs> pardon the pun. but uh you know they get a uh, like they get compared to charles bronson even by themselves a lot and that's true to me but i also don't listen to a lot of this kind of music and to me i like i don't remember a lot of bands doing like the sloppy blast beat into the like old school mosh part or, or like interchanging genres that much is like these guys do, except for Charles Bronson. They're the first ones I remember to be really like blazing fast, crazy, almost black metal sometimes. And then go into like a, like a like a really silly jock rock part or something like that. Yeah. Well, that, uh, so that came from spaz. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. Like spaz I think too, I guess. Yeah. I think I, specifically in the case of dystrophy that <laughs> that, that came from spaz is what I'm oh, saying. Okay. It's so deliberate. Like the mosh parts are so, Okay, here's the mosh part or the breakdown part or whatever. Yeah. I think these guys are I actually like these guys a little better than Charles Bronson because I like Charles Bronson, but I like Mark's vocals and Charles Bronson are cartoony on the records. I, 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 it kind of does a weird <laughs> chicken thing or something. And I never loved that. Live, they're awesome. They played here at like probably a couple times, but I saw them once live. It was great. It's like an awesome show. But uh, I just think this is like kind of like Mike said, I'm impressed with how fully realized this is for a bunch of teen boys. Uh, <laughs> maybe it's super easy to do power violence. I don't know. If, maybe it's just, just not that hard to do, but this is. Yeah, I think that I think it was just like the all ages shows that they were going to and stuff. This was this was the kind of music that was going on in yeah. the West Bay in, in 2001, 2002. Um, but yeah, I, I 
I had never heard this before, actually. And when I, when the song came on, I was like, cool, this is, uh, I, I know what I'm in for. I like that yeah. little fucking blast beat at the end. The little sloppy blast at the very end is very spaz. Mm -hmm. And, uh, also the guitars are out of tune, which is fucking sick. And yeah. <laughs> I'm proud to report that, uh, so like I, I was mentioning earlier, earlier that, uh, Tony has like a power violence band called healer now. Mm -hmm. So he's like 37 or something now. Uh, like Healer does do do not have tuning pedals on stage. So uh, if you go see them live, they they play like eight minutes of music and then they tune for, to each other for like 15 minutes. The rest of the set, <laughs> the rest of the set is like feedback and them going. <laughs> so I was I was very happy to hear the guitars out of tune on this album. Um, that's a thing that's still going on. It, it fucking it cracks me up that the first song on the seven inch is a uh, like straight edge song. Also in the layout, you can see the X on Tony's hand. I think okay. is when he was still. Mm. Oh, speaking of the layout too, you you graphic design wizards. Neither of you noticed uh, or mentioned that there's some some really sexy Comic Sans visible on the page with the lyrics. Somebody's wearing a T-shirt with something written in Comic Sans. I can't make out what it is, but <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, you're right. Extra wow. extra layout points for Comic Sans in the true <laughs> in the fucking uh, liner notes. Uh, but yeah, the fact that it's a straight edge song because uh, so here's a here's a little more backstory for you. If you, Mike, I told you I had I I got plenty of stories to tell okay. about these songs. But so my fiance Melissa, when she first moved to San Francisco. Uh, she lived with um, Scotty, who runs Tank Crimes Records. Okay. Um, when he, I think it was before he started the label, but she she met Tony and Dystrophy way back then when they were in high school. She's she's known him way longer than I have. There's a very famous story between uh, Tony and Melissa that uh, she bought him when he was like I don't know 18 and she was 21. She bought him a 40. And that was how he broke edge on that, that 40 that she bought for him. Right. And that spiraled into like 15 years of alcoholism. <laughs> this is something me and Tony have in common is we were both like really fucking gnarly alcoholics for like 15 years and we're both sober now. Uh, sober, boring guys. Yeah. Now, yeah. But uh, <laughs> Melissa, Melissa bought him the 40 that sent him on that path that he wasted like half of his time, half of his life on. So that, this, this uh, song about, uh, being a coward and drinking alcohol really, really charmed me. <laughs> struck a chord with me. <laughs> Does he worry that since he's he's back in a power violence band at thirty seven, someone might hand him a forty? I don't know. I I, I would I would hope it was Melissa if it did happen. <laughs> it seems like the perfect like arc story arc, you know. Yeah. Okay. The next track is called just called Old School Song.
this song actually in the lyrics mentions fast hardcore. So this is a little ahead of their time because a few years later, uh, me and Scott would use the term fast hardcore as a slur for bands we hated. A lot. So, a lot. Yeah, a lot. So it's it's cool that uh, they, were, they, they knew exactly what they were. Um, the only other note I had for this is the bassist is very dedicated to that one part he's playing over and over again. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that's pretty cool. He's just playing it over and over again. I love it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the same, more of the same fast, angry hardcore. Uh, I like chaotic music where it's so chaotic that the song gets away from even the members trying to play. Like, I think the gang vocals on this are really good because nobody can keep up with anybody else. Not one person in the band is keeping up with anyone else in, in exactly mm -hmm. the right way. And that's my favorite format of a messy hardcore. And, and also my favorite format of messy hardcore is when the parts that aren't blasting are really quiet and moody. So the blasting parts are like someone waking you up by blowing a hairdryer in your eyes or something like that. And that's what this song is kind of like those moody parts and then, and then back to the moody parts like being tased. And uh, you know, I, I think one of the problems with this, and you might know this Shelby, I don't know, but one of the problems when you decide to do extreme music is you really only get one or two tracks out of it. Like yeah. you can keep going and you can keep playing good music, but you don't have the element of surprise anymore. You don't have uh, any extremity to offer anybody anymore unless you just keep turning up the volume, I guess. But you need a second idea. Yeah. And, you know, a second idea, it, it, this work for grunge, all the grunge people got very rich. Shelby is Tony very rich from playing quiet and then loud. No, no, no. <laughs> okay. Well, maybe after the first seven inch club effect kicks in, he'll, he'll get money, but uh, <laughs> it works on this song for sure. Did you know that he, he, he sold a song that was, uh, do either of you guys know the TV show? I think it was on TBS that was like Steve Buscemi and Daniel Radcliffe. It was called Miracle Workers. Yeah, yeah. He, no. he told he he, he talked about that on Turn Down to Punk. But yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I watched I've watched that show before though. Yeah, yeah. They they like change the premise and the theme song of the show every season. But I think I think the first season or something it was like a medieval show and they they used an yeah. oven song. Wow. And he got he got a a fat payday for that, but uh, not a rich man. No, he does. He's. Uh, <laughs> I was kind of I was kind of hoping from the cover art that it might yeah. be like Highway to Heaven remake. Yeah. Uh, with the <laughs> One, one, one of the things I respect about Tony, speaking of him not being rich, is uh, also I think on that same turn out of punk, he's uh, he's anti Bandcamp, which I like about him because everybody yeah. loves Bandcamp, but he's the yeah. only guy who's like, no, it's the same shit, and uh, it is the same shit. So I it's respect true. that. It's true. Yep. Yeah. Every every Friday I get an email about how they're gonna not take profits or something. <laughs> cool. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. <laughs> so what what I don't think either of you mentioned about this this second song is that it's just parents by the Descendants. It's like wow. a, it's like a, it's like a power violence version of Parents by the Descendants. You found the two best people to talk about the Descendants <laughs> with. <laughs> well, you know, it's, you know, what's funny is I, me I mentioned that to Tony. I was like, were you listening to a lot of Descendants? Because it sounds like Parents off Milo's, Milo goes to college, and he's like, and he was like, fuck no, I fucking hate the Descendants. So I was like, all right, <laughs> all right. And, end of end of conversation. Um, but yeah, the song's cool. It's still the guitar is still out of tune, and it yeah. has a sick another sick blast beat. So that's cool. And it also has a one note guitar solo like Neil Young's yeah. Cinnamon Girl. So yeah, that's cool too. <laughs> yeah, I checked out Healer when I was doing my research. I was like, oh, he's still doing dystrophy. Basically. Yeah, yeah, basically. <laughs> it's, kind of, it's not that far off. Yeah. Uh, the third track is called Selfless. <laughs> Yeah. 
it, it's happened in the, la- the last two tracks too, but it's very clear that there's dual vocals going on to the point where I don't even think you could qualify Tony as just the, the lone singer at this point. It's mm-hmm. mostly two vocalists, but the other guy does not really get credit. I don't know who the other guy is. Uh, Bo, the drummer, is listed as drums and whining, so yeah. I think it's him, but um, Kyle, the guitarist, is also listed as guitar and wanking which I could also be singing, so I don't know. But mm-hmm. there's definitely a, clearly a second vocalist in there. But they both kind of have the same screamy, r- raspy type of voice, so I guess it doesn't really matter outside of just dynamics. But uh, it's there. It's, there's definitely two vocals. Um, outside of that, the only other note I had about this song is just a, kind of just a regular note just for the whole album because I had nothing else to say, is that it is very impressive how, how, uh, how with it these kids are at this age because... Um, even like this Shelby saying the guitar's out of tune and shit like that. Like, obviously it's a little sloppy here and there, but, um, just like vocally and like placing the vocals and stuff like that, just like the little things that separates you from being like a shit ass band, they seem to already have down at a young age. So, uh, so as, as Shelby said, this is what we would all be doing at 16. There's no way I would be this with it at 16. So they are, they're a little ahead of their time. Yeah. I meant in terms of the layout. I, okay. I I was definitely not playing music this this advanced at sixteen for okay. sure. Yeah, I had no exposure to shit like this when I was that age. Uh, this is the first track where I like I listened to the whole thing all the way through so far and haven't li- didn't notice till this track that the guitars have kind of a trashy low gain thing going on. It's like really not that distorted, and I think that's a good thing because I think you know I think buying a better pedal would weaken the effect. Buying a tuner would weaken the effect. Buying a better distortion pedal would be- weaken the effect. Mm. I like that it's got kind of a clank. Uh, I think the second vocalist, I don't think he's quite as hard as Tony on the, the screeches, but I like that he's trying. He's trying really hard to, to match him uh, on that intensity. And I think the whole band sounds really hyped to be doing this record. The whole band sounds very excited and frantic, maybe a little too excited. But uh, if you look at the archive of their website that I talked about earlier, none of that's backed up. All he does is uh, complain about what a mess the band was for the entire two years they were together and how, how bad they were at, at this show and that show and how this Doug disappeared for a while and quit the band or something. I don't know. That might be an inside joke too. It's hard to tell. Uh, Cause they say that they found him face down in a burrito or something a couple <laughs> years later, mm-hmm. but I mean, you can't hear any of it to me. This just sounds focused and, uh, and, and exciting. Uh, my, my, <laughs> my only note on this song is that it's, it's hope by the descendants off the album. Milo goes to college. <laughs> and if you don't believe me, Look it up. I would patch in the songs that you're comparing it to so people could hear it, but then, you know, they'll take our podcast down because Every, you know. everybody has access to fucking streaming music. If yeah. you're if yeah. if you really want to go do the homework, go do ahead. Do the homework. I don't want to name names, but the descendants have a three thousand dollar signature guitar that is just a three hundred dollar guitar with the volume knob removed. So I think <laughs> that they, they have a lot of money and they probably go after people who je- jeopardize their money. Yeah. Okay. The next track is called Nice Kids.
so one of the other things I know about Tony outside of being a kind of an encyclopedia for music is uh, he loves the area he's from in California. And this is the first California love song. Um, it took mm-hmm. four tracks, but here we are. First song about specifically about California. Uh, I also think this is the best song so far. It hits all the tropes of this type of uh, power violence, I guess you would say. It's fast and angry and hard. Uh, plus, it goes into an old school buildup into a circle pit part. It basically hits everything you want from this type of music. I think this is, uh, this is, this is Dystrophy's opus. So I understand why this is the titular track because this is also the best track on the record yeah they also hit it for a couple tracks i think but this is where the formula emerged because they write just enough lyrics for the fast part to sing Mm -hmm. it like maybe three times (laughs) they sing the lyrics three or four times over the fast part and then they do some kind of a like a mosh part or a breakdown and which i would have i would have thought people were doing windmills for this and shelby's telling me there's no windmills i don't know what the fuck people are doing but (laughs) falling off of an amp or something no Uh, it's usually just Standing with your arms crossed and nodding your head <laughs> politely. Well, yeah, when I saw I saw Charles Bronson here and they were falling off amps. So I just assume that's what you do is you stand in the amp and you fall off. It's like some yeah. Mr. Bean stuff or something like that. <laughs> this is the title track. This is their business card. This is their resume. They did a good job. It's got to represent. And even the lyrics are representing. So, yeah, I would agree with Mike. This is their signature piece. <laughs> yeah, this is I, this is a good, catchy song. I like the refrain of we're nice kids. It's a nice mission statement. They Mm -hmm. are literally kids and, you know, uh, it's catchy. It'll it'll fucking stay in your head. I think it's cool. And and like, you know, like, yeah, like you guys said, like, this is, this is fucking good, catchy music. It sounds kind of shitty, but it's like, it's one of those things where when you consider the context, like, you know, like the shags or like old school or something like, (laughs) uh, consider the context and this is pretty remarkable, you know? Okay. Uh, last track on side A is... No, I'm sorry, the first track on side B is uh, Lost Paloma's song. So this is, uh, if you couldn't tell by the name, the second song about California. So again, two songs into a nine-track record. That's pretty good. Pretty good ratio. Uh, This song is just short and fast. It's a little peppy, and they work in a two-step part, which uh, I commend them for a little variety. And uh, the dancing, although Shelby has shot down any type of dancing happening in California. Yeah, there was no (laughs) two-stepping going on in California. (laughs) Well, uh, you know it's unfortunately they didn't get to play the east coast so uh yeah they could have seen people dance to their their music but uh yeah pretty short song uh because i've listened to many hours of tony listing off place names that are important to him <laughs> <laughs> I, I know that this band's like this lyrical shtick is something he's maintained for his entire life and i assume people from that area maybe just are all this uh have like a tick about them where they just have to constantly name off uh you know the geography of of their their region and he rattles off streets neighborhoods zip codes area codes he seems to just flow like water coming out of a hose uh, yeah to me it's a little bit strange because he's, he's like so th- in this song alone las palomas san bruno milbray south city esb 650s i know that san mateo if you don't know san mateo you're a fucking idiot i know yes all, 
I don't know if these are all the same place or if he goes to a lot of places. Uh, this kind of obsession doesn't really apply where I live. Like, yeah. you, you know, if someone was like, I'm from fucking Roselleville or something like that. Been, yeah. I'm from fucking Bolt Corners, motherfucker. We just got a fire truck. What's up? I, I wouldn't know what they're talking about. I think you're a real estate agent. If you said that to yeah. me, I think you're trying to sell me a house in that region or something. Uh, everybody just says, I'm from Albany. Like My dad, he's from Rensselaer and he's from Albany. Like you're from, you're from Albany from anywhere in this blob of earth. Uh, you're just from <laughs> Albany. So I wish, I wish I could do this. I wish I could rattle off 20 different names for where I grew up. So I could start the East dystrophy. I could do the one over here. <laughs> they are all are separate suburbs of San Francisco that are, are close to each other. They are, they are all legit places. Um, <laughs> and it is, it is an important thing in, in West Bay culture to like, uh, to represent the West Bay and name off yeah. every single town and every zip code. Uh, <laughs> you have to do that all the time to pr prove your loyalty to the West Just Bay. Just to walk the streets. <laughs> yeah. And I don't, I don't question it. I, I appreciate the fact that they put uh, two West Bay songs back to back at the end of side A and the beginning of side B. It provides, <laughs> provides a nice continuity. Um, this song also surprised me by, it, it sounds like the guitars are in tune on this song. Yeah. That was it. That was a surprise. Um, seemed out of character, but I'll take it. It's cool. They had to tighten up for Las Palomas. They couldn't yeah. let it down. <laughs> okay. Uh, the next track is called Skating for Satan. There's a little surf riff right in the beginning, but I'm going to forgive it because this is apparently a joke song for an already jokey band. <laughs> so uh, otherwise, this would just be an automatic you're, you're out strikeout. But uh, luckily, I think it's a joke. Uh, this also has it, it's also saved, but it has a pretty cool slow part when I think of the first slow part on the record. But um, but yeah, this I, it, it's it's really tough to sell a jokier song for your joke band. There's only one there's only one level of joke like you're there's no extra levels you can't go down further into the <laughs> joke realm of music yeah so so uh but yeah you know this it's, it's again they're kids so you 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 have to do you have to deal with the dumb shit but at the same time there's probably thirty-seven thousand songs on 625 thrash that had the, the same <laughs> subject material uh that was done by grown-ups so so what are you gonna do <laughs> Uh, so this is one of the strict formula songs, and it also has this jokey, dumb lyrical premise. But I think it's handled correctly because I think the line "skate till you fall" is awesome. I think that's <laughs> we're not even to the satanic part, and I think "skate till you fall" is this tiny little pocket of existential horror. That's like a tough thing to say. "Skate till you fall." That's that's cool. And yeah, they saved a line for the sing along. I think I don't know if that's the only time it happens, but it doesn't happen a lot. Usually, when they get to the the hard part, they're out. Tony's done and he just maybe yells one word, but they save some lines and it's, so this is the silliest and most comprehensive song on the entire record. <laughs> yeah. Skating for Satan. Uh, so now that they, now that they got the guitars in tune, it sounds like the bass is out of tune. 
Uh, that, that, <laughs> one thing at a time, Shelby. One yeah, yeah. Um, I will also say that that uh, that surf riff you, you you were talking about, Mike. The first mm-hmm. couple notes of that are just "Look Back and Laugh" by Minor Threat. Okay. Uh, <laughs> this is definitely this song is definitely an homage to Agents of Satan, who were another mm-hmm. like okay very oh, right. uh, yeah all all encompassing West Bay band. Uh, they had a song called "Goat Scrote." Uh, I actually <laughs> I have the seven inch in front of me right here for reference. Um, but yeah, "Goat Goat Scrote" has very similar lyrics to "Skating for Satan." Um, but yeah, I know Tony. Tony's always idolized Agents of Satan, and I would, I would bet dollars to donuts that this song is uh is an homage to them. You could have backdoored the whole Agents for Satan seven inch in here, because <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I mentioned it before. I think you guys should do yeah. Agents of Satan eventually. Yeah. But all they put out was fucking split seven inches, so it's yeah, it's tough. Yeah. Well, you should do a split episode. You should do the no less yeah. Agents of Satan split seven inch. Have me back Just, for that one. Okay, well I'll look it up. I think it's probably like forty bucks. You know, we'll drop in the bucket for Rich Mike, but what are you going to do? The first three and a half inch club. Come on, yeah, don't get, fucking <laughs> pretend you're not making bank off of this at this podcast. <laughs> okay, uh, the next track is called Go Vikings. If you if you didn't listen to First Seven Inch Club and you weren't aware these were children playing this music, uh, you are going to find out soon when you listen to Go Vikings because this song is literally about being in high school, yeah. and uh, it makes me feel like the oldest oldest man on earth. It's uh, you know I've always joked about how all these old man man bands are still playing in songs that they wrote in high school, uh, but it's it's a lot more mortifying when you're actually you're faced with with lyrics about high school at least these guys were those old man bands weren't writing lyrics about maybe they were maybe some were writing about lyrics about high school but this is literally about high school mm-hmm. um i also feel like this would be a good comp song this is kind of uh you know another one of their like mission statements but it's not it's not on the on comps so on one of those comps where it's fucking 48 bands that sound exactly like this band uh, you you got to put a little taste. You can't you can't put uh, the steak. You can only put the potatoes. And I think this is a good <laughs> potato song, where uh, you know you, you would your ears would perk up when you'd hear this and go, oh, maybe I'll check out that dystrophy band. I can almost relate to the premise of this song because we had you know we had the sports mascot that was uh, you know representative <clears throat> of the school or whatever, and my school had a racist sports mascot. We had the Colony Raider, which was a Native American riding on a horse. And our rivals were the Shenandoah Plainsman, which I think is a cowboy. I don't know. Plainsman sounds like a cowboy. They didn't give a fuck about their cowboy. They just called themselves Shen. Their website says Shen. Uh, they downplayed the Plainsman thing wisely. Not like my stupid school. We actually put the Native American guy on everything for a while. 
and put tomahawk stickers on all their helmets and everything like that. And this this song prompted me not not that Vikings is like a racist thing. I don't care about that, but it just made me look it up to see if my school was still doing that. I've been out for a while, and it just turns out last year a bunch of racist and transphobic videos showed up on Instagram related to my school. And the whole house of cards fell down and they had to pull down <laughs> all the Raiders logos from all the websites and all their math and all their uniforms. And instead of doing any real work, they just put a big letter C on it and called it colony football. So my team is now just called colony football. That's, I <laughs> that's, mean, that's what the Redskins did. That's, yeah. Yeah. My, that's, not, that's my new home team. Yeah. Not one fucking person. Team. The whole, whole school district and nobody could think of a cool animal. Or like yeah. a mythological creature or anything like that. They just gave up. We got the, we got the Dutch apple cruise in Albany. They could have been the Dutch apples. The colony <laughs> Dutch apples. That would have been great. Colony uh, goat, goats, groats. Colony goats, groats. <laughs> you know? Uh, so, so this song's all right. It follows up the mosh part with like a fast version of the mosh part, which I think is the only time they do that. I think that qualifies as a bridge. So that's some, <laughs> that's some really elite songwriting in this song. I think it's the only time it happens in this record. And oh, I, yeah, I just looked and the big C colony football team definitely still puts Tomahawk stickers on their helmets to this day. So they haven't done the work yet. They, they got to go through. Stuff. They got to go through the supply before they get rid of them. <laughs> got to burn through them. money. They should yeah. give them out to kids when they do good on their tests or something like that. <laughs> well, my high school was the Eureka High Loggers. So that's that's fucking cool. Um, this is a sick ass thing to write lyrics about to write about how your the kids at your high school are fucking dickheads. Yeah, I thought that was really cool when I read the lyrics. I was like, I don't. Yeah, this is great. Um, both the guitar and the bass are out of tune again now. Um, and I guess my only other note on the song is that there's a there's a line delivered with the cadence where he's like, "What the fuck are you?" He just says something, and it's like. The same cadence as minor threat, small man, big mouth. <laughs> so they had back-to-back descendants on the first time, and then they had back-to-back uh, minor threat on the second side, and I respect that. I, w- I would have done the same thing at 16. Shelby, have you ever been in a hardcore band? Just no. Just like a plain heart? No? No. Okay. So we're getting dunked on hard. Yeah. We've yeah. been in hardcore oh, yeah. bands our whole lives. <laughs> Shelby yeah. showed up with all, all the fucking know, receipts each, on this entire thing. take over the show. We should, we should bow out of the yeah, show. Yeah, you guys like, should be, do you, this. You guys should be forced to like, yeah, give me the keys, like hand over your badge <laughs> and gun. <laughs> yeah, Shelby knows all the real hardcore and real punk. And I'm just going to start it. I'm going to start a competing podcast called yeah. Second Second Seven Inch Club. <laughs> you should. Uh, I mean, every every other person who does a podcast like this one is much more knowledgeable than us. I don't know why anybody would listen to us for any real facts. We don't we don't know shit. There's there's every like the Revelation guys, the guys who do the Revelation ones have like every single person in the band on, and like it's fucking four hours long. They they go they go through their shit. We're just it's we're way just more fun around. to like speculate about this shit yeah. though. I don't want to know yeah. the facts. I want to know like yeah. the, the impressions. Yeah, and it's way more fun to speculate when you only have the knowledge of about seven bands like yeah. we do. Like, yeah. <laughs> seven well, bands from like nineteen ninety seven and that's it. And that's well, we can get Shelby on this man. Knowledge. Like you know like the, the bad superhero T V shows where they have the computer guy who yeah, does all the behind the scenes. Shelby the stat boy. Yeah. Do you have yeah. glasses, Shelby? Can you wear glasses? <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll hack into their mainframe. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh the next track is called No Trust. Just like Last Drop was a soft straight edge song, this is a soft stabbed in the back song, 
They're not going <laughs> full, full on like youth of the day type of stabbed in the back, but it is there. This is kind of a, you know, just nudging at it. Uh, this song is all gas, no brakes. It's just fast, 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 fast. And that's, uh, you, I think you, that's a prerequisite for this type of record. You need one of those songs. Mm-hmm. I think a stab in the back type of subject matter is the perfect uh, type of subject matter for this song. So uh, this, this is another hit for me. Yeah, this is one of the three sincere emotion songs, uh, <laughs> but also a time saver. Because usually they repeat the same block of lyrics three or four times. This one, they're like, oh, wait, no, we don't got to. We could just bag it and just <laughs> do it once and be done. I, I appreciate that. That's considerate. You can hear them growing as men and citizens on this record by the consideration of my time. Yeah. No, this is uh, some You Betrayed Me Ass hardcore lyrics. Um, I'm always down for that. Uh, yeah. I don't have much to say about it. It's just it's in line with everything that's already going on. I'm just glad that they got a, they got one You Stabbed yeah. Me in the Back song. When you know, in fact, none of these guys had been stabbed in the back yet <laughs> no, at this age. No, no. This was something they learned from older boys, like yeah. like most of yeah. the other lyrics on this album. And you the don't even too. grow a back until you're 19. You don't <laughs> yeah, have seriously. a back yet. Seriously. I would like uh, any, any listeners who care, write in, let me know if there's any non-straight edge uh, bands who have been stabbed in the back before. I can't think of any. It's only straight edge bands who have Dystopia. been stabbed in the back. Oh, dystopia has a song called backstabber and those guys are the most drug using dudes i've ever met encyclopedia shelby solved it for me coincidentally it's it's also the best stabbed in the back song ever written it absolutely is yeah Yeah, that's uh you have to do drugs to write the good stabbed in the back songs Mm -hmm. that's that's a catch uh so the last track is called you're naive a uh, cover it's the husker do cover um and i know that because in the lyric sheet it says you're naive by husker do you poser uh, i don't need to be gatekeeped by some fucking 16 year old <laughs> piece of shit kid just because you knew of husker do and i looked it up because i all i know is zen arcade uh and i looked it up and it's off the, like, their first record that's barely on streaming obviously the 2002 is before streaming so some older boys must have gave them gave them this record or something but uh yeah, fuck off. You you can't gatekeep me, you little shit. But um <laughs> but so like when this started, I was like, Oh, this is uh this is a more more punky song than the rest of the stuff they've been playing on this record. But as I'm only of of aware of Zen Arcade, I was like, This is more punky than Husker Do. I was like, This is pretty cool. They did like their own version of a cover, uh, and that's that's what you should do when you're doing a cover. You shouldn't do a straight cover and you shouldn't do something that sounds exactly like your band. You should meet in the middle somewhere. So I was like, these kids have a lot of foresight. But then I actually listened to the original one. and <laughs> It turns out Husker Du actually used used to be a punk band. Yeah. Um, but to their to for the, to their credit, I think I think I might like the dystrophy version better than the original version. So I'll give them that. I think I think they did a little better. Um, but yeah, this is a cool cover. It's it's nice little. Gives you a little accent of something else on a record of uh, otherwise eight tracks that sound kind of very yeah. similar. This is a slightly different variation of an obscure punk song 
um, at the time. I'm, you know, none of my friends in 2002 are listening to Husker Du's first LP. I'm sure there, again, Shelby said it's different in the West Coast, so maybe people in the West Coast were more, more tuned into that. But either way, I'm going to say this is a, a, a bit of an obscure cover, especially for teens at the time. So, uh, you know, it's good. That's that's what you got to do. You got to prove that you're better than uh, your your listeners, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> yeah, I also don't listen to much Husker Du. I was aware that they were harder in the past. Uh, I don't think I knew how hard, but I, yeah, I listened to this, to the to the original. It's it's identical. It's almost identical. Yeah. This it's basically like a power pop song, <laughs> just yeah. on, but with a, a sing like a sing song part. And I always kind of think their hardcore era is just something that you know dag nasty tattoo dads cling to. Because they hope they hope the world will see them as hard men if they point out that Husker Du used to be a hardcore band. Uh, I, don't, I I wouldn't imagine most people listen to that. That's not what the one. That's not what brought them into Husker Du. Maybe these no. guys. I don't know. Uh, but this song arrived just in the nick of time because I was kind of hitting my limit. Like this is good record, but I'm kind of done. I've <laughs> I've heard I've heard the six things you can do with this and dropping a little melody right here at the eleventh hour. It made a big difference in their score. <laughs> yeah, this is this is a Husker don't. Um, no i'm i'm joking the the song's fine uh i i tried with husker do because i was aware of their early hardcore days and like i I like a lot of sst bands so i i like went in search of that stuff and it never it just never for whatever reason it never stuck for me so when, when i listened to this i didn't look at the layout before i listened to it so when i heard this song i did not recognize it as a Husker Du song, which I guess yeah. makes me the poser that they're referring yep. to on the lyric <laughs> sheet. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a perfectly passable song, whatever. Uh, I thought, I'm surprised neither of you mentioned the sick-ass guitar solo uh, that they they end the album on, which, <laughs> which sounds like it's, he just like sort of gives up. He plays like three or four notes and it just trails off and that's the end of the album. And I think yeah. that's ba-da, a... Ba-da, ba-da. Yeah, and I think that's it. Yeah, and I think that's a terrific way to end the album. It's like in the middle of a half-baked, semi-finished thought. It's just like, okay, we're done. (laughs) Most guitarists, when they sit down and they realize they can do the beginning of the "Mi Evil" thing, Uh, they can't believe their minds. And I think that that's happening in real time in this record. Yeah, yeah, that's probably that's probably the first time he has ever tried. He's like, holy shit! (laughs) I can't believe my fingers are doing caught on tape. Well, okay, that's the record. That's the full thing. Um, if you guys are new to the show, if you came to just hear the 23rd heaviest guitarist in uh, the world talk about this obscure power violence band from the early 2000s, I do a rating scale. My rating scale is uh, for the whole entire record, not just the music, but for the packaging, uh, for the investment opportunities, for anything you could think of. Uh, what my rating scale is, is either throw it in the trash uh, just listen to it on streaming, which I believe we are going to be an ex- a dystrophy exclusive on YouTube. We're going to be the only people uh, play- having a stream of dystrophy on our YouTube channel. So mm-hmm. there you go. Uh, so yeah, listen to it on streaming, uh, buy it in the bargain bins, buy it for full price, or buy it for collector's prices. Uh, so I have a, a two-tear rating for this. I think this dystrophy is a perfect seven-inch band. This this is a band that should just have one or two seven inches and peace out. Um, I was a big into this type of music at a certain point in my life, and uh, it really brought me back, especially hearing a band I haven't heard before. And uh, for for actually teen kids, one of them going on to to bigger and better things, uh, that's pretty cool. So uh, this is full price all day, but at the same time, I currently control the dystrophy market. I control the reseller market. I have all the copies of Dystrophy. Uh, there's no more on Discogs. I have the last two. So, uh, unfortunately, for me, it's full price. For you, it's collector's prices. You're not 
getting this record for anything under $60 because uh, I'm the only one who's selling them. So so there you go. Uh, if you want to listen to this, it's going to be collector's prices. Yeah, I think Tony, I've listened to him on podcasts. He's a hilarious genius. Uh, his musical path I'm kind of jealous of, even though I don't love it all, just because he seems to execute on things. It's pretty undeniable. Like, I listen to his records, I can tell that it's a little bit above average because it's got the sort of Thin Lizzy, Iron Maiden guitar part stuff going on, which is cool. Uh, and th- But this record's kind of the same way. I'm rarely in a power violence mood or a fast hardcore mood. But if I was in the mood, this record would be fine. It would be the one. I would choose this over a lot of other stuff. The, I think the, the, the violence and the fury is there. Sound is cool. The vocals are excellent. Tony's a very good screamer. And this could easily be anyone's like occasional dose of fast hardcore if that's all you want to listen to. And and they did it as teen boys, sweet teen boys. Uh, <laughs> nobody on earth would be buying, let alone listening to the music I made when I was this age. Uh, so I'm jealous. And out of jealousy and spite, I'm going to give dystrophy a zero. Uh, <laughs> zero, zero DS13 stickers out of five. Zero. Yeah. <laughs> all right. <laughs> oh yeah uh this was this i think like i mentioned like this was my first time actually hearing dystrophy i've i've heard ovens a lot uh i like i like ovens a great deal i've played music with tony a lot i enjoy that this, this is great i never heard tony sing like this before i he doesn't he doesn't sing in healer he's not i've i've never heard him sing like power violence style before mm. he's pretty good at it um yeah. here's a little pro tip for you guys um if you're ever listening to Tony's uh, later, like power pop stuff, yeah. there is an artist from, I believe, my neck of the woods, West Virginia, maybe Virginia, uh, named Aloner, A-L-O-N-E-R, mm-hmm. who is just straight up ripping off Tony, note for note. Wow. Wow. Uh, go look him up. It's hilarious. Um <laughs> Uh, one last note there's, if you dig this, there are, there's like five songs, uh, five more dystrophy songs on Spotify from some compilation. Okay. Uh, so there's a little bit more material material out there. And even though Mike is cornering the market on dystrophy seven inches, I will be minting dystrophy NFTs for sale <laughs> and undercutting his prices. So if you guys, if you guys need cheap digital copies, come to me. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to give this, um, 650 milbrays on the west bay scale uh great album i enjoyed it very much i'm glad you guys liked it and i think that's all i have to say about it you should give doug a call he could probably get you onto some <laughs> nft markets yeah i know he's my guy so is uh is tony gonna get all all the west bay all these different suburbs and towns and cities after this loner guy they have beef or what the guy is like a tony super fan too so he okay. like sent his music to tony and was like he's like i think you're the best you should check out my band and i, sh- I shouldn't go too far into it but like tony like basically wrote back and was like fuck you <laughs> like what are you doing like you're just straight ripping me off like you suck you know that's pretty cool uh yeah i don't think that was his initial response but after a while it started to get under his skin and he was like yo yeah. fuck this guy <laughs> Uh, do you have anything to promote before we get out of here, Shelby? Yeah, my uh, my band Ulthar has. Uh, we, I guess we kind of have a new album out. Uh, this <laughs> label, this label in Finland, just reissued our 2016 demo on vinyl. Uh, you can find that at the other records um, dot bandcamp dot com or something. Uh, my band Vastum is playing in Oakland this Sunday may 29th no shit um we're playing in denver 
June 25th at the True Brewing 10th Anniversary Metal Fest thing. <laughs> uh, Ulthar just recorded a double album that's going to come out next year. And I have a new project called Human Corpse Abuse um, <laughs> with the drummer from Pig Destroyer. And uh, I, that'll be out sometime soon. I, the, the engineer got COVID halfway through recording it, so we oh. kind of hit a bump, but it's, it's almost done. Shelby, do you admit to the world about your one-man COVID projects, or are they top secret? <laughs> yeah, I don't care. They're not good, but like, I don't care if people know about it. There's a lot them. of them, was, though. <laughs> yeah, there are a lot. I kind of like, uh, during the pandemic, I lost my job, so I was just like, well, I'm going to learn how to like record music at home. So I started recording and releasing albums uh, over the pandemic. And yeah, I'm, I don't, I, I'm not going to like talk about them too much, but they're, they're out there. If you look on metal archives, you can track them down. They're, there's don't expect much. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't you say the, the old Thar record is in like two songs too. I'm scooping myself on this. And another thing I'm not supposed to talk about. It's, it's two full <laughs> albums. One of them is two long tracks, one on okay. each side of the album. And the other album is like a proper, like eight song album, but oh. they're, 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 they're recorded. They're done. It's just a matter of, you know, the vinyl, vinyl delays and shit till yeah. it, till so it comes out. Three, four years from now, we'll, we'll hear that. Yeah. Like not even, <laughs> not even joking. It might be, yeah. <laughs> it could be years. Yeah. Mike, you got any more of these prog nerds just fucking lose their number. I don't want to hear from these fucking <laughs> 20 minute song guys anymore. Prog Shelby. That's what they call them. I got shit to do. It's not like doom metal though. We're like blasting for 20 minutes. Okay. <laughs> it's not mirror okay. reaper. Yeah, no, it's none of that fucking weak shit. <laughs> well, okay. Uh, thanks Shelby for being on our silly little show and uh, proving us that we don't know thing about anything we're talking about that's uh that's anytime good. man yeah. uh and thank you guys like i did i wanted to like sincerely thank you for doing a show doing a podcast that uh doesn't make me feel like pandered to or like <laughs> like you guys aren't like playing a character or like trying to sell me something or like trying to get me to su subscribe to a patreon like yeah, you're one of the yet. last you're one of, yeah well not yet but yeah, you guys are yet. one of the last shows where you just do a show because you're like excited and interested in something and you're like relatively normal dudes and you know don't make me feel uncomfortable so thank <laughs> thanks for that you're one of the you're two of the last ones on the planet yeah we try uh, yeah, okay we'll be back next week I, i'm not sure what we're doing but uh we'll be back so until then we'll talk to you later if you don't know about Delmar, you're a fucking idiot. If you don't know about <laughs> Newtonville, you're a fucking idiot. Vorkeesville. <laughs> Bitch, you've Mechanic never been to Ville. Falls Church. You never been to Woodbridge, motherfucker. You never been to Vienna. You never bitch. been to Slingerlands, motherfucker. We got new shit over there. Fucking Scotia. idiot. You never been to Glen Burnie? <laughs>